Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Epic. If you're new with us, maybe on campus, maybe new with us online, my name is Trent, one of the pastors here, and I think you came on a great Sunday because today we're starting a brand new series called Real Faith. And as we begin this series, I want to find out who our adventure seekers are in our crowd. So if you're an adventure seeker, if you like adventure, hold your hand up for for just a second. Let everybody see. Okay. Now, I'm not talking like you were so adventurous you didn't set your clock, you know, back last night because you're risky. Like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like you like to get your heart pumping, like you like to do things that other people go like, no, thanks. All right, now hold your hand up for for that crowd again. If you're watching online, you can raise your hand online, I guess. All right, now let me narrow the the focus a little bit. How many of you like to do adventurous, risky things that involve heights, like maybe skydiving, bungee jumping, you know, weird things like that? If you're in that group, hold your hand up. Okay, hold it up high. Everybody look around. Okay, we see who you are. Now, um, I admire you uh, in that crowd. I'm not one of you. All right, I like adventure. I like risk. I I like doing some of those things. I kind of like controlled risk. I don't like crazy risk. And I really don't like things that involve heights. Um, And I think maybe that's why God made me short. Like, like... (laughs) We're not supposed to be up there where the birds are. We're supposed to be down here on the ground. So I found that out for myself personally when I was in the first grade. So when I was in the first grade, my family lived in Michigan. And at that time, my dad had his private pilot's license, if I could say that. And he decided to take me out for my birthday for a plane ride. And I thought that was great. So we went to the airport and my dad put me in the plane. I climbed all over, looked at the instruments, thought this is fantastic. He buckled me in and I'm looking out the window and we taxi and take off. The higher we got, the lower I got. Like, I think I was laying on the floor by the time we got up to full altitude. And I'm like uh, praying to God in first grade, God, if you're real, bring me back down on ground because I don't have faith in this plane. So thankfully, I outgrew my faith issues when it comes to flying, Uh, but when I started thinking about this series and faith issues, I started thinking about a problem that I've had with faith, and it goes all the way back to that moment. So when I think back in that moment, the problem I had that day was a faith issue. I didn't believe that that plane could keep us in the air. My dad had faith. My dad was exercising his faith as he flew the plane. I was exercising my lack of faith laying on the floor of the plane. Again, not thinking that this was going to hold us up in the air. And and as I was thinking about that event and faith for me and faith for all of us, I think the reality is we all have faith issues. I had faith issues back then. I've had many faith issues throughout my life. We all have faith issues at one point or another in our lives. And today there are people who say they have weak faith. There are people who say they have strong faith. There are people who say they're skeptical of faith. There are people who say they have no faith. There are people who say today they are leaving their faith. They don't believe what they used to believe. And so they're walking away from faith. And even those of us who say we have strong faith, at some point or another in our lives, we have struggled 
with our faith. Our faith has been tested, our faith has been challenged, our faith has been questioned, and we have wrestled with our faith. So the reality is we all have faith issues. Now, when someone says, and and, uh, maybe you've said this before, maybe you believe this right now, when someone says that they don't have faith, no offense, but I think that's not true. We all have faith in something. Right now, you are exercising your faith in our super uncomfortable seats. Like right now, you believe that that seat is gonna hold you up. You probably don't believe that you're not gonna have a back ache at the end of our service. But right now, you're exercising your faith in that seat that you're sitting on. And I don't wanna get political, but several years ago when COVID came around, there was a lot of faith issues going on. There were some people that said, when the vaccine came along, I have faith the vaccine is going to solve this COVID problem. There's a whole nother large group of people that said, I don't have any faith in that at all. Uh, I actually have faith that my immunity will help fight off COVID or doctors will give me different medicine to help me fight off COVID. COVID, uh, But that group didn't have faith in the vaccine at all. Now, When someone says that they don't have faith, I think we all understand they mean they don't have religious faith. They they don't believe in God or aren't sure if he exists. But I think that's why it's so important when we're talking about faith issues, it's important for us to define faith. What do we we mean when we're talking about faith? So we're gonna start with a definition of faith. And this definition I found on Google because you can find anything you want about anything on Google. So I searched Google for the definition of faith. This is the first definition that popped up. So listen to this. Google says that faith is the strong belief in God or the doctrines of religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. Now, we're going to leave that up for for just a second. But when I look at that definition, I think there's some contradictions there. It seems kind of strange to me. How can we have strong belief in anything based on spiritual apprehension with no proof? Like, that sounds weird. You know, like if somebody at work said, hey, I think you should believe in this thing that I believe in. I've got strong faith, sort of, kind of, not really sure. I'm a little bit apprehensive and I have no proof that you should believe in this thing. Like anybody signing up going like, yeah, I'm believing in that thing with you. Like none of us would. The problem is this is how most people define faith. And that includes Christ followers. There are many of us who claim to be Christ followers that think the definition of faith is blind belief that we just have to believe something because some bald guy said we should. Some religious leader at some point said, yeah, you gotta believe in God or the Bible says this and so we just kind of believe it. And that's one of the objections that non-Christians have towards Christianity is that they can't just throw their brain out the window and just believe something because some religious leader said we should. And if you're actually in that spot, if you're not a Christ follower yet, I get that apprehension. I, I, I really do. And I don't think God's asking you to have blind faith. He's not. He's not asking that of any of us. He's asking us to have faith in a different context because God defines faith differently than Google. Surprise, surprise. So 
let's listen to God's definition of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. This is taken from the New International Version. God says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. On the surface, you might say, well, that sounds a whole lot like Google because there's hope and there's um, things that we don't see. But God's definition Again, it's very different. You look at different Bible translations, you'll see words like confidence, you'll see words like assurance, you'll see words like proof, you'll see words like evidence. So God says, hey, there's proof, there's evidence, and this isn't just a wishful thinking. So when you see that word hope, sometimes we define hope as wishful hoping. Like, you know, I'm not really sure if God exists, but I really hope he does. I really hope when I cross from this life into the next, I hope I open my eyes and I see Jesus stand there, you know, welcoming me home. If not, darn it, I put my faith in the wrong thing. Uh, but I hope so. That's not how that word is defined in scripture. This word in scripture is a Greek word that means confident expectation. It means waiting with confident expectation, knowing that you will receive what you've put your faith or your hope in. So I'll give you an example. My uh, wife and I have had four kids. Let me be clear. My wife had the kids. I was just a part of the process. So when my wife was having our four kids, especially towards the the latter end of that experience for her, uh, we weren't hoping our kids were going to come into the world. We knew, and my wife was confident, these kids are coming into the world. I don't care how they come into the world, but they are coming out of my belly and they're gonna come into the world. So we were confident knowing one day, we didn't know when, but we knew for sure that our kids were gonna step into the world. And that's the kind of hope that this word means. It's confident expectation, assurance based on proof. Now, If you're thinking like, hey, how can Christianity offer proof? Like that's a big statement, that'd be nice, but what kind of proof are you talking about? Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verse three. Verse three says, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Again, in response to that, you might say, well, doesn't that sound like blind faith? Because none of us saw God create the universe. Like We weren't there for that, so we'll never know that for sure. And you may, may even go beyond that and say, you know, hasn't science like disproven God? Hasn't science proven evolution? And so there's really no need for faith in God. Like we can have faith in science, uh, but like why would we have faith in God? There's really no proof for that. And if, if you've thought that, you aren't alone. There are a whole lot of people that kind of think that there's that tension between science, which is about proof, and faith, which, which is about just wishful hoping. I listened to a, a fascinating interview recently by the world-famous atheist Richard Dawkins. And I'm curious, anybody familiar with Richard Dawkins? You know who he is? All right, so I've listened to some of his interviews and some of his debates that he's done before. A very intelligent man. And he said some things in that interview that were a little bit surprising to me. I hadn't heard him say these things before, but he said this. He said he's a strong believer in truth. 
He has faith in truth. He said, truth exists and we can know it. And the truth that he has studied through science and all of its intricate systems, from how we as humans are put together to how the universe is held together. He said, all of those intricate systems do not for him point him towards a creator. He leans towards all of that science proves evolution to him. As I was listening to that, uh, I thought, you know what, that's a faith statement. That's not a proof statement. He has faith in science and his faith leads him to believe it, it's about evolution that has created the universe and not God. And again, that's a faith statement. That's not a proof statement because we really don't have proof in that context. So listen to the proof that God offers. In Romans chapter one, verse 20, it says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Creation itself is proof that God offers to us of his existence, of his nature, of his power, and ultimately his love for humanity. That's not a blind faith. Like we can have confident faith, confident belief in that and in him. In Job chapter 12, Job says this in verse seven. He says, ask the beasts and they will teach you, the birds of the heavens and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth and, and they will teach you. And the fish of the sea will declare this to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. So creation, all creation. The earth, the sky, the universe, all the intricate systems that hold everything together, animals and humans prove God. And we can have confident belief in that, in him, in his love, in his plan for us. Now, if you're skeptical of that, like I understand that a few Bible verses are probably not gonna convince you. Like I get that. Uh, one of the things I challenge you to do is I challenge you to pick up a copy of our spiritual growth challenge that we make available in our lobby for those on campus. If you're watching online, it's in a link in the comment section. But on that spiritual growth challenge, I've put some great resources that can help you dig deeper into the proofs that God offers for us about faith in him. That we can have confident hope in him. Not a wishy-washy, well, I hope that's true. We can have confident belief in him based upon proof. So I encourage you to pick up one of those resources and dive into that. If uh, you're a Christ follower and you're you know, kind of shaky on those kind of conversations, I encourage you to get those resources yourself because it can strengthen your own faith and help you navigate some conversations with other people. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 is known in the Bible as the faith chapter because it lists a whole line of people who live by God's definition of faith, not Google's definition of faith. It talks about people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and more. Now, I encourage you later today or maybe this week, read Hebrews chapter 11. It's rich with all kinds of Old Testament stories that talk about people living by God's definition 
Uh, I'm not going to walk through all of that this morning, but I am going to read a few of those verses that highlight a few different types of faith that people had. So first we're going to start in verse seven. It talks about Noah's faith. It says, by faith, it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about these things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, interesting thing about Noah is whether you know anything about the Bible or not, there's a good chance you've heard of Noah. Uh, You may not know the backstory. You may not know the context of, of that story, but you might have, if you have kids, like maybe there's a chance that you decorated your, your baby's room in Noah themed artwork. Like maybe you've got some, you know, animals coming two by tube to this big boat and you may not even know the story. Well, the backstory is that God looked at the earth at that time frame and he saw that there was wickedness, complete wickedness in everyone's heart all across the world. And he was looking for someone who had a pure heart, a good heart that he could save humanity through. He found Noah. He found Noah and his family. And so he came to Noah and he said, Noah, I want you to build uh, an ark. And Noah said, a what? He said, it's a, it's a big boat. And Noah said, a big what? Because at that point, there weren't boats, and it hadn't rained before. God said, yeah, I'm going to send rain. It's going to flood the earth, and we're, kind of, we're going to kind of start over, Noah, through you and your family. And anybody else who's courageous enough to, to join you, nobody else was courageous enough. And so Noah, in this moment, he's got this big decision to make. Like, am I going to build a boat, whatever a boat is, because God says someday it's going to do this thing called rain, whatever that is. And it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. So can you imagine the ridicule he would face from all of his neighbors? His neighbors coming around and saying like, hey, Noah, what in the world are you doing? You still building that boat thing? Yeah, never heard of it. They don't exist. Are you still waiting on that rain? That's never happened. That's never gonna happen. And Noah could have built the ark saying, God, I sure hope that you send this rain because like, I'm gonna look really foolish in front of all of my neighbors if you don't send rain. Bible doesn't say that Noah built the ark that way. Noah built the ark confident that God was gonna send rain when God said he was gonna send rain. And so Noah built the boat knowing that God told him to do that. And God was gonna save him and humanity through that experience. That's the faith that Noah had as he built the ark. Verse eight says, it was by faith that Abraham, so it tells us another story about faith, that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land that God had promised him, he lived there by faith for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac, which was Abraham's son, and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Now, there's a really good chance you've heard the name Abraham, but you may not know his backstory. So God came to Abraham one day and said, Abraham, I want you to to be the father of my specially chosen people. And the interesting thing was Abraham was a nobody. 
Again, there's a really good chance you've heard of him today. We know about him today. But at that time, he wasn't a religious leader. He wasn't a king. Uh, he, he wasn't a military leader. He was a nobody from nowhere. And God came to him and said, I, I want to take you to a place, and I'm going to give you and your descendants land. And imagine Abraham then going to talk to his wife, Sarah, about that. I'm sure that was an interesting conversation. Abraham going and saying, uh, Sarah, like, I know you love our neighborhood. And I know we just bought our dream home. Like, it is great. Perfect spot. We got, you know, just this great view of the water, thanks to Noah and, and that experience. Um, man, it's great. But we're supposed to move. Oh, yeah, well, where are we moving? Like, I don't know. And God has told me that we're going to get some land for our kids. Oh, yeah, like, who is God and what kids? Because we don't have kids. So at the time, they were older in age, had no children. And so I'm sure there was a struggle right there in that context for them. But Abraham believed God. Abraham believed that God was going to give them descendants and was going to give them land. And God did give them a descendant, gave Abraham and Sarah a son named Isaac. And then God did the craziest thing ever and asked Abraham to do something he would never ask anyone else to ever do. And that's found in verse 17. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, and uh, Isaac was a part of that promise, he was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. So again, if you don't know the backstory, God came to Abraham one day after blessing him in his old age with Isaac, and he said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. None of us could ever imagine that, unless you're a parent of a teenager then maybe you can imagine that. Like, yes, right, right there. I get it. I get it. I really do. So God comes to Abraham, asks him that. And often we don't understand what God was doing in the backstory, but God was testing him. And he was doing at least two things in that test. He was testing to see who was most important to Abraham. God blessed Abraham with his son. So God was wondering, Abraham... Has your son taken the seat on the throne of your life or do I still have that place? That was a test for Abraham to find out. And then God was showing Abraham what God was going to do for us when he sacrificed his own son, Jesus, on the cross for us. So God would do what he would not let Abraham do. So he asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac but he wouldn't let him do it. He stopped him from doing it because it was gonna point to what God himself would do on our behalf. He would let his son die so that we can have eternal life. And then what God did in the context for Abraham was he stopped Abraham and he provided a ram. And he said, you know what? Isaac doesn't have to die. We're gonna sacrifice this ram. Guess who became our sacrifice again? It was Jesus. Jesus said, you don't have to die. We're gonna allow Jesus to die on your behalf to pay for your sins so that you can have eternal life. Again, if we don't understand the backstory, there's so much that we miss out of a story that may not make sense until we dig a little 
deeper. So verse 19 says this, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, that if he actually followed through with doing what God had asked him to do, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So it's just crazy to think Abraham had such strong belief. He says, God's asked me to do the craziest thing ever. And if I have to follow through on that, I'm believing that God's going to raise him back to life again because this son of mine is God's promise to me. This son of mine is the one that God is going to bless my descendants through and bless the entire world through. So if God says sacrifice my son, then God's going to raise my son back to life again. He had that kind of faith in his obedience to God. Again, God stopped him from doing that because God was going to point to something else that would happen later. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David, Samuel and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms and ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. You know, when I think about strong faith in God or real faith, like we're talking about in the context of this series, that's the kind of faith that I want to have. That's amazing. I think that's the kind of faith that all of us want to have. But listen to what else our faith can result in. Verse 35 continues. It says, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They put their hope their confident belief. They put their faith in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their, their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. If you, you read Hebrews chapter 11 uh, later today or later this week, uh, you might think what I think when I read Hebrews 11. I think I love the first part of Hebrews 11. Like it's great overthrowing kingdoms and ruling with justice and shutting the mouths of lions. I mean, that sounds like a Braveheart movie, doesn't it? Like if you don't know this about me, it's one of my favorite movies. And that sounds like draw your sword, shout for freedom and let's go into battle. Love it. I don't love the second part of Hebrews 11. I don't being tortured, being whipped, being stoned, hiding in caves because of having strong, confident belief and faith in God, that doesn't sound fun to me. The second half of Hebrews 11 stands in direct opposition to something that's taught in some church circles today. It's known as the prosperity theology or also known as prosperity gospel. The idea in prosperity theology and prosperity gospel is this idea that some Christian leaders promote that if you have the right kind of faith, you will always be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Nothing bad will ever happen to you. And if something bad is happening to you or you don't have health, wealth, and a lot of hair on top of your head, then something's wrong with your faith. 
that you've messed up somehow, that you have to go fix that. And I wonder, how would the people in the second part of Hebrews 11 answer that theological issue with the people that promote that? I wonder when those religious leaders pass and stand in God's presence for eternity and are there and having conversations with other Christ followers, I wonder what the Hebrews 11 people will say. Like, that's not true. Like, the people in the second part of Hebrews 11 had strong faith in God. Maybe stronger faith than the people in the first part of Hebrews 11. And yet they did not receive while they were on earth, the the promises that God had given him until they were in his presence for all eternity. They had strong faith. And yet, if we measured their faith by how we define it sometimes today, we would say, nah, something's wrong with them. Because if you had strong faith, you'd be overthrowing kingdoms. And God comes along and says, well, that happens for some. It may not happen for all, but what's your faith in? Is your faith in your ability to overthrow a kingdom and shut the mouth of a lion? Or is your faith in someone greater than yourself? Hebrews 11, six says this. says, it is impossible to please God without faith. And by faith, again, we're not talking about wishful hoping. We're talking about confident belief in God and who he is and what he says he'll do. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. God is a rewarder of those who seek him and our our faith needs to be in him, not in ourselves or not in just anything. There's another idea out there today that says having faith in anything is just as good as having faith in God. That as long as we believe in something, we'll be good. Doesn't matter what that thing is, as long as we believe, have strong belief in something, we'll be good in life and we'll be good in death. But get this, the object of our faith needs to be more important than our belief in faith alone. The object of our faith needs to be more important than just having faith in faith alone. The reason is we can put our faith in the wrong thing. We can put our faith in the wrong person. If we do that, our faith will fail. That's why it is so important that the object of our faith be more important than just having faith. So that leads us to our bottom line thought for today. Bottom line thought for today's message is this, and it's a little bit of a weird statement. But to have real faith, our faith must be in someone, capital S, not someone, small s, or something. If our faith is in someone or something, we will be disappointed. We will be let down. And I think all of us know that. All of us at some point have put our faith in someone or something and that person or that thing let us down. And in that moment, our faith failed. Why? Because it was in someone or something that could never back up our faith. So Christianity says our faith needs to be in someone, capital S. Our faith needs to be in God who can back up our 
faith, back up our strong belief in him with an abundance of proof that he offers us daily. So our faith, to have real faith, needs to be in someone, not someone or something. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna dive deeper into this whole topic of real faith. And today was just an introduction to this whole subject. Next week, we're gonna talk about growing personal faith. And we're gonna talk about grounding our faith in God. We're gonna talk about the possibility of regaining faith. Like, what if you've walked away from faith? Or what if you say you've lost faith? Is it possible to regain faith? So explore that in this series as well as our faith being tested. So if we're gonna have real faith, there's gonna be a moment of test that comes along for us. So we'll explore how that fits into us developing real faith as well. Now, I hope that you'll come back for every message in this series. I hope you'll invite somebody to come back with you because I think the, the topic of faith today is so incredibly important and we have to shift all of us away from this idea of as long as you have faith in something, you're okay. That's not true. The object of our faith has got to be more important than just having faith in anything. And the object of our faith should be, as Christianity promotes, should be in someone, again, capital S. So I hope you'll be a part of this series. As we close, let me finish with this question. What is your faith in? What's your faith in? Really? What's your faith in? Is it God? Is it you? Is it your smarts? Is it your finances? Your skill? Your abilities? Is it somebody else? What's your faith in? And is it worthy of your faith? Is the thing that you have your faith in, is it worthy of your faith? As, as you think about this, like if you're confident that your faith is in the right thing, the right person, great, keep believing in that thing, in that person. If you think, you know, like, maybe my faith isn't uh, as strong as it should be in that thing. Like, maybe you're not willing to bet your e eternity on that thing that you have your faith in. If, if you're in that spot, maybe you should reconsider who or what your faith is in. So as we close today, our worship team is gonna guide us in a final song called Give Me Faith. And as they sing, I encourage you to just process just ask yourself, hey, what's my faith in? Really? Is my faith really in God? If so, am I living in that way? Would other people look at the way that I live and say, man, you have strong faith in the creator of the universe. That person may not agree with you, but it's very evident in how you live, how you believe, how you, your beliefs are lived out in your actions. If you're struggling with faith, I encourage you to, to, again, get one of our spiritual growth challenges before you leave today. There's some great resources there that can help you as you wrestle with faith. If you're exploring faith, there's some great resources there for you as well. If you'd like to have a conversation about your faith, about where you're at, stop by our care table before you leave. I'll be out in the lobby as well. I'd love to talk with you and have a conversation with you about where you're at on your faith journey. So again, as we sing, just consider what's your faith in and is it worthy of your faith? So let's pray and we'll sing together. And if you would, stand with me. God, I am so grateful for Hebrews chapter 11. 
the hall of faith chapter. Lord, there's so much confusion today about what real faith means. Most of us have this idea that faith is about this wishful hoping with a lot of spiritual apprehension and without any proof. But that's not the faith that you ask us to believe in. That's not how you define faith. You define faith as confidence, as assurance, as evidence, as proof. And you say that that we can have that kind of strong faith in you. I thank you also for the many examples in Hebrews 11 that you offer us, the many people who live by your definition of faith. And Lord, I pray for us. We all have faith issues. I pray that we would wrestle with our faith issues towards your definition of faith. I pray that we would wrestle today about what we're putting our faith in. And if our faith is not in someone who can back up our faith, but may we reconsider that. May we really re-examine what our faith is in. For those who are struggling with faith, Lord, I pray that they would struggle forward, struggle towards you, because that struggle with faith can actually make their faith stronger. Lord, there might be some folks here today kind of standing on the outside of faith, really curious, kind of skeptical, but I pray they would take a step in your direction have a conversation, get some resources, do some digging, because you want all of us to have strong faith in who you are and your plan for our world and your love for us individually. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith that we need and that we would develop that faith in our own lives. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this, amen.